everybody. Um, there is no junior church today, so kids, don't forget the kids' bulletins. You can find them at the front and back and fill them out. And at the end, if you fill them out, you get a piece of candy. Um, and also, for those who may not know, we have a version. It's the Bible app. If you download that and then you click on the church name, which it will pop up if you're in this location, and then you can follow along everything or and possibly more that's on the screen is generally on that version app. You can type in your own notes and save it for your own benefit later. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that, please use that. And if you need help, come see us sometime after. We have a, a guest speaker today. Jim Estep is coming. You can read the bio in the bulletin. And I've known Jim for 20 years uh, or so. And so uh, when Casey and I moved up to Great Lakes Christian College, we went up there without any friends, no jobs, and had no idea how we were going to do anything. And then this professor started taking, him and his wife took my wife and I under their wing, uh, had us over for dinner, took us to Frankenmuth, and introduced us to Tony's or Tony's. <laughs> if you're going up there, go to Tony's restaurant. Just a pile of bacon that tall, okay? And you already know my heart on bacon, right? But uh, he just really helped on that. And then God moved him to various things. And as I've come to know, this has been a habit for him and his wife. Wherever they go, they just grab people and bring them in underneath uh, their faith and guide them. And then they let them go and see what God does. So I am very, very blessed to have known him as some other people have. And I just know he's going to bring a message that we all need um, dealing with prayer. So as he comes, let's pray. God, uh, we thank you so much for your word and, and how you equip and call each one of us. And we ask that as uh, you speak to us today through the words that you have given Jim, that you would open our hearts and our minds and give us a, a, a sense of urgency to fulfill these words. I ask that you bless Jim and what you have presented through him. And through all this, may we grow closer in your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. And by the way, I've forgotten about Tony's. I have to explain this. This is not part of the sermon. This is a public service announcement, okay? I went to Tony's for the first time. It's in Birch Run, Michigan. I ordered a BLT. I wasn't that hungry. Their BLT starts with a pound of bacon. Need I say more? No, but thank you for having me out here. Really, I appreciate it. It's great. I didn't know I was going to see so many familiar faces when I showed up this morning. But I want to talk about prayer. Is anybody listening? There was a study done on what do you pray for. 51% of people said, well, I pray for my own sins. 46% said, I pray for my enemies. Now, by the way, I'm going to assume that it's a positive prayer, not some kind of imprecatory prayer. 44% of the people said, but when I see a natural disaster, I pray for the people who are experiencing it. 26% said they pr pray for people of other faiths or who have no faith that they would come to know the Lord. And an almost equal number of people also prayed they'll win the lottery, wondering where their faith is really placed. 14% uh, pray to avenge a wrongdoing. 11% have a favorite sports team to pray for. So I imagine this afternoon and evening there'll be a lot of prayers, particularly in the state of California. I'll be praying for the Bengals. Nine percent said they pray for a good parking spot, while seven percent said I just pray I don't get caught speeding. 
And 5% pray for someone's relationship to end, probably mothers with dating age daughters. But I ask the question, does prayer really work? One of my daughter's favorite authors is Nicholas Sparks. Uh, he wrote books that later became movies like The Notebook. He said this, I don't pray. I don't pray because it doesn't work. Prayer doesn't fix anything. Bad things happen anyway. And I have to confess, there are some times when I struggle with prayer. There are some times I struggle and ask, is anybody listening? My father passed away in 2011. Uh, he had emphysema and a bad heart condition. My mother was quite different. She was a vibrant, healthy, 76-year-old. She moved up to Lincoln, Illinois, where we were at, moved into our house to be closer to us and the grandkids. She was healthy. At 76, she literally took one aspirin a day and one beta blocker, and that was it. She had never spent the night in a hospital. So when she came upstairs on a bright May day and said, I need to go to the hospital, we knew something was serious. We went to the hospital. They ran tests. They sent us to a specialist. And you know the feeling when the specialist looks at you and says, you have stage 4 pancreatic cancer. There's no good treatment. Only about 4% of people live past two years. By the way, she went to a second oncologist to get a second opinion, and it was the same. I prayed. My family prayed. My extended family prayed. My students prayed. My college prayed. My church prayed. Her church prayed. Her friends prayed. And she passed away. Probably have to tell you this story, though. My mother knew how to take things in stride. When that second oncologist said, I'm really sorry, ma'am, but you have stage 4 cancer, pancreatic, no good conditions. You were diagnosed in May, six to eight months. It's going to be probably November or December. She's from eastern Kentucky. She stood up, put her hands on her hips, and said, that's not going to work for me. I've got to get buried on a hillside. That's got to thaw. You've got to keep me alive till spring. <laughs> she passed April 14th, 11 months after the diagnosis, and we buried her the weekend of Easter. But I have to confess, that whole time, God, are you listening? I don't understand the answer to this one. Did she do something wrong? Did I do something wrong? Did we not pray right? And I think we were all honest with each other. There are times when we pray and pray and pray and something doesn't happen the way we thought it should happen and we go, what's happening? And by the way, even back in biblical times, people had misconceptions about prayer. And they had questions about prayer, wondering, how is God going to answer this? If you have your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 11. Prayer was obviously something that even baffled and confounded Jesus' disciples then. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1. 
One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. And we will also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And that's usually where we stop. The model prayer. It's the one we kind of memorize. But Jesus' answer didn't stop there. He went on to give a parable or two. And that parable helps us understand how we're supposed to use this model prayer. Look at verse 5. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. You see, this parable gives us principles to have an effective prayer life. We need to look at the parable to lift out of it the principles to have better prayer. The first principle is simply this. Prayer begins with an admission of inadequacy. The man in the parable has to admit, I don't have any food. Until he does that, he's never going to the neighbor's house to ask for help. You have to admit, I can't help myself. I have to admit that maybe life is bigger, and I can't do it alone. I am incapable. I need God's assistance. My son Dylan asked questions all the time. He said, uh, but if God knows my needs, why do I have to let him know? He already knows without me asking. It's because he wants us to learn to ask. He wants us to acknowledge him as the giver. Clarence Baum once wrote, The purpose of prayer is not to inform God of our needs, but to invite Him to rule over our lives. The person who believes prayer doesn't work has a problem. He or she, first off, doesn't admit their inadequacy. Because they obviously have an idea of how the prayer should be answered, and when it's not answered well, then he must not have been listening. And also has a second problem. Their God is too small. He acts as if God's on his beck and call on our schedule. And so once again, God isn't big enough to answer the prayer in their mind. But no, 
The problem is they've not admitted their own inadequacy. They're not letting God answer the prayer in the best way He knows how. My prayers are driven and they originate from my inadequacy and my reliance on God. Abraham Lincoln once wrote, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all that about me seemed insufficient for the day. Effective prayer is relinquishing control and admitting that I'm not in the driver's seat. You know, it's not my best and God does the rest. It's not the bumper sticker that says God is my co-pilot. Why? Because co-pilots, that's a safe spot. I still got the wheel. The simple fact is, we need to make God our pilot. Corey Ten Boom put it another way. She simply asked this, Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Now, a second principle of effective prayer, prayer relies on a growing relationship with God. It may not seem so, but the neighbors are friends. Look at the bold speech, and by the way, if you came to my house banging on the door at midnight, I'd better recognize you. A good relationship cannot be totally quantified, listed off. It's not like a program or a check sheet. It's a matter of the heart, not just the head. We must, we must know about God, but we also must know God and experience Him in His love. <clears throat> the Christian can see more on his knees than the philosopher can on his tiptoes. A prior commitment to Christ is essential for an effective prayer life. John Bunyan wrote, In prayer it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. You know, I have friends that if they were to call me, I would do anything for them. I would answer any request they had. I would even be willing to say no when it was in their best interest. But they can do that because they have a prior relationship. You see, a thief has no right to beg God not to be caught. The student who cheats on the test can't pray for God's assistance. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. You see, when I work, I work. But when I pray, God works. And the person who doesn't believe God is listening probably doesn't know God and doesn't know about God. So the third principle is this. It's something we have to admit, that prayer could be a frustrating experience. The neighbor's initial answer is what? No. Say it with me. No. Don't you understand? I'm banging on your door, and I have a friend who's coming in, and I have no food. I need your help. No. There are occasions where our timing, our plans, our agendas, our answers, our understandings, our strategies are simply not God's. And when he says no, we need to go back to point number one and admit something. If I really admitted my inadequacy, I would take the no as the right answer. I wouldn't be like the child who anticipated dad saying yes and then bewildered when he said no. We also have to go back to point number two, that if I have a relationship with God, I understand that when he says no, 
He's saying no as a loving father. Soren Kierkegaard said the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the nature of the one who prays. I remember as a child asking my mother or father for something, and I was bewildered when they said no. But I knew they were my parents, and I knew they loved me. I may have been disappointed, but I was all right. And by the way, they usually had something more, you know, more in store for me, even better than I had anticipated. There are four answers God can give to prayer. He can answer prayer in four different ways. No, not yet. No, I love you too much. Yes, I thought you'd never ask. And yes, and here's even more. Many times the Bible, in the Bible, God says no's, no, even to heroes of the faith. Say it with me. Abraham prayed for Sodom, even barters with God for its deliverance, and God said, no. Moses, who leads the people out of Egypt through the Exodus, 70 years in the wanderings, he is an old man. He finally gets to the east of the Jordan. He can see the promised land. And can I go in there, Lord? God says, no. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed for his child to be healed. God said, no. But Paul pleaded with the Lord three times to remove a thorn from his flesh. And God says, my grace is sufficient. That's a nice way of saying, no. Even Jesus in Matthew 26, 39 in the garden, let this cup pass. And God the Father said, no. But see, Jesus understood. Because then he said, not my will, but yours be done. William Cumberson wrote, keep praying, but be thankful that God's answers are wiser than our prayers. I remember praying for something and God saying no. And now in retrospect, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years later, I go, thank you for saying no. Because I now see what you had in store. You see, we need to realize God is not a cosmic Santa Claus. It's not as if we are good boys and girls and we crawl up on his lap and we have our wish list and we give it to him. And then he says, why, everything you've asked for, I'm just going to grant and we've seen what happens when you watch Bruce Almighty. When God just defaults to saying yes to everything. It doesn't work. Yes is not always the right answer. Mother Teresa said this, Prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at His disposition and listening to His voice in the depth of our heart. One of my favorite Old Testament stories is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you want to look at it's, uh, Daniel chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego re replied to the king. The king had ordered them to bow down before his idol, before his statue. O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. That's faith. But you know what's even greater faith? The next verse. But even if he does not, if God says no, 
We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, that's having faith in God, not faith in the results of our prayer. The fourth principle is this. Prayer requires persistence. The man in the parable refuses to quit. He keeps pounding on the door. Luke 18, 1 says, pray always. Luke 11, 9 through 10 that we read earlier said, seek, ask, seek, and knock. I read lots of commentaries looking for some kind of insight that I was missing, and every commentary said, nope, it just means to be persistent. Don't give up. Persistence in prayer focuses our attention, improves our desire, and it makes us more like Him. Oswald Chambers wrote this about prayer. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before we do anything at all. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve the matter in His good time because the idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. We cannot make God go against His will or violate His character, but we can demonstrate our devotion and our faith and our allegiance to Him through our prayers. So how is your prayer life? Let me ask four simple questions. When do you pray? Is it routine or is it sporadic? Why do you pray? Is it a recitation of a situation, a memorized prayer, or because you like sharing with Him? How frequently do you pray? Once a day, three times a day, seven times a day? Then where do you pray? At home, at work, at school, with your family? But more importantly, perhaps reverse the four questions. When do you not pray? Why don't you pray? Why don't you pray frequently? And where would you never be caught dead praying? You see, the only way to pray is to pray. And the only way to pray well is to pray much. So we need to have persistence in prayer. And that leads us to the fifth and final principle. That ultimately, prayer is effective. The neighbor eventually receives an answer. His needs are met. The story doesn't compare God to a reluctant, grouchy neighbor, but contrasts them. God is a good father willing to give gifts. That's what verses 11 and 13 said. God does answer our prayer in, the, in His best interest and ours, but not perhaps on our timing or our understanding. There are three, there are major obstacles to our prayer, treating it like a last resort, looking for answers with blinders on because God is answering it, but we're not acknowledging it. If failure to reflect on how God has actually answered our prayers in the past. That's why I love King David. Before he's a king, he's a shepherd boy. He goes up against Goliath. And when King Saul says, why? Why do you think you can take on Goliath? You're a boy, and he's been a fighting man since he was a boy. What does David say? Because when I was watching my father's sheep, the Lord delivered the lion and the bear into my hands. He'll deliver this uncircumcised Philistine today. He knew God was there and ultimately would be productive. Perhaps people don't think God is listening because they haven't 
to spend time to reflect on their past and seeing where God has already been answering their prayers. Lewis Evans wrote, Man is never so tall as when he kneels before God, never so great as when he humbles himself before God, and the man who kneels to God can stand up to anything. So today I just simply want to ask you, is there a God? Yes. Does he listen? Yes. Does he respond? Yes. Do we always get what we want and what we ask for? No. That focuses too much on me and what I want, not what God wants. Does prayer mean I don't have to do anything anymore? No. By the way, S.D. Gordon said, you could do more than pray, but only after you've prayed. You see, prayer challenges us to grow closer to God, to trust His decisions and wait on His answers. We live in the short run. God lives in the eternity. His answers are in it for the long haul. So I don't know everybody here today, but I can say two things with confidence. Prayer is a place to start building your relationship with God, and someone is praying for you. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for leading us here this day, for getting us here safely, for letting us gather and lift our voices in praise, hearing us pray, letting us worship together as your people. Be with us today, Father. As we go through it, may we devote it to you. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Jim's given us a challenge uh, to, to really, not the challenge to pray, but the challenge to stand or kneel in our faith and to really live that out. And so uh, as a reminder, we just want to remind you that we have a prayer team here. If you have needs that you are wanting help, you want something taken to God, you send it to us in an email or through the app, Facebook. We'll get that prayer team because they are devoted in praying. If you want help to pray, they also want to do that with you. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song of, of invitation in a sense. And, and really what this is going to be is if you want to pray, we want you to know we are willing and ready to pray with you right now. If you want, you can come up here to this front room over here. And uh, we'll have some people who will be ready to walk into the throne room of God with you. To pray with you. To lift you up. To bind together. And to stand in faith of God. And so if you need to make that decision, won't you do that as we pray today? And, and if, you're, if you're not coming up front, make this song a prayer of your faith as we sing it, sing it out to God.